Hello humans, hello humans. Almost noon. Heading back on the outward bound leg. <coughs> got all the chores done, got all the extra stops. Didn't run into any shortages today, which is interesting. It's always good that when there's things there that you need to get. Anyway, I wanted to talk about time stuff today. There's, um, I've been doing a lot of time experiments, replicating um, uh, Nikola uh, Kozirev's uh, work. And he, um, uh, he was a Russian guy. He worked in the, well, the 20s, 1920s through the 1960s was his most uh, productive period. Anyway, um, there's a whole lot of us guys that are not involved in the physics world that have, and even some guys that are involved in the physics world, that have come to the conclusion that um, Einstein really fucked everybody over and that quantum is no good, doesn't work, and is uh, quantum mechanics and all of that kind of stuff is um, bogus. Okay, so going all the way back to Einstein's work in 1905, there's no justification, or excuse me, let me put it this way, two-thirds of the behavior that we can um, measure and assess from light are not explained by the photon. So uh, Einstein came up with this idea of the photon. He says uh, the light comes on in, it bounces off of something, and the photon goes over um, and uh, strikes your eye, and you get to see it, right? You get to see whatever the, the, uh, the thing that the light bounced off of, okay? So the photon does not explain a lot. It doesn't explain how the image is carried to your eye, right? Uh, because your eye does not deal in a pixelated fashion. It's not like a, a computer screen where each pixel has a specific representation and a potential color range and all of this kind of stuff. So um, the photon just does not explain it. We also have a uh, another really big problem with all of Einstein's stuff in that Einstein says that time is uh, a dimension. And in all of Einstein's work, he treats time as a dimension. And this is what causes the goofiness in quantum mechanics, where they talk about the collapsing of the field when you try and measure it, okay? Uh, I'm not going to get into that today. That's another uh, fundamentally uh, bogus aspect of Einstein's understanding. So uh, Einstein had a flaw. Uh, in his thinking that was huge and giant. Uh, he may have known about this flaw or not. There are some of these uh, physicists that indeed do know that there is this flaw there. And the general flaw is that they are approaching everything from the idea that there's no consciousness. And the goal of the physics is to look at the grit and explain how grit evolves and creates consciousness. Okay, and so this is an impossibility. It can never happen. Consciousness existed before there was grit. And, uh, and grit is an artifact of what consciousness wants to do. 
And so uh, their premise is wrong, their understanding is wrong, their basic uh, jumping off point is wrong. So everything that they develop, anything that happens to work is going to be happenstance and um, coincidence and is going to uh, involve machinations and uh, twisted stuff in the math in order to make it work. So uh, we have this thing that's called Planck's Constant. Everybody raves about it. It's an essential part of the physics. It makes some of the uh, Einsteinian understanding work. Without it, none of the Einsteinian understanding works. And Planck's constant need not exist. Uh, it only exists because of a particular experiment in which the volume of space being measured was a cube. If they had done it uh, in a sphere, or if they had done it in a tetrahedron, um, uh, Planck's constant is not needed and never would have had to have been invented. And it's like Heisenberg's principle of uncertainty exists because of Einstein, um, at the same impetus that Einstein had when he converted time to a dimension. Okay, so in Einstein's math, all through it, time is like uh, width or height or something, a distance, a physical distance that way. And this does not in any way encapsulate time. It's a very crude uh, mathematical workaround that basically uh, denigrates time to uh, one of the other dimensions, and it, and it involves us in living in a four-dimensional world, okay? And that does not exist. Absent uh, collapsing time into a dimension, there is no justification whatsoever for all of these nutty woo-woo people saying interdimensional travel, you know, as though there is a corporeal life form that's at another frequency in another dimension of frequency, x-rays or something, I don't know how they understand that, and that that person or that, that corporeal life form can translate itself somehow into our three-dimensional reality. And um, it doesn't work. That, that can only happen in Einstein's screwy math, which is bogus and doesn't function. And this is why we've been held in this limbo for the last hundred plus years, is because everybody's trying to reconcile quantum mechanics and Einstein, and it's never going to happen. It's It's uh, bad. It's bad science. It doesn't work. It comes from a basically flawed premise, and time is not a dimension. And we know that this is the case. We also know that there are active qualities of time. And so um, I did an experiment, a mathematic experiment, in which I, I expanded on Einstein's ideas, and I took the idea of time and I created a matrices, uh, a matrix, uh, in which uh, every active quality of time uh, that is different from all the other active qualities of the time was put in there, and I came up with a uh, nine extra dimensions, okay? They're not dimensions, they're just simply qualities of of time, active qualities of time. There's both active and passive qualities. I'll get into that in a second. Anyway, and so I did that, and I come up with these extra nine dimensions, which is like, holy crud, that's exactly what um, Eric Weinstein did to create his 
geometric unity model, which is bogus. Okay, so in my opinion, um, it's possible. Okay, so I speculate, or it's my opinion that Eric, or yeah, Eric Weinstein is not as he is saying. Okay, uh, I speculate that on that opinion that he's sort of like maybe a Jeffrey uh, Epstein character. So Epstein was uh, supposedly a hedge fund trader guy, yet he made no trades and had no hedge fund, right? He was just into blackmail and all of that, and the, and the banks covered up all of his blackmail and stuff by saying he was a hedge fund. Well, Eric Weinstein supposedly works for uh, Thiel Investments, or I think that's it. Um, but you don't see him crowing about any of his, you know, he never brags about any of the trades he makes, he never talks about it, you never hear him talking any of the stuff about trading, uh, he doesn't discuss assets that way, uh, he does not naturally default to um, mathematic understanding and economic understanding of things, so, so it, you know, he could indeed be a very atypical person and indeed do lots of trading and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't see any evidence for it. I also know that his um, geometric unity stuff is bogus. It, it's trying to reconcile Einstein's quantum mechanics, which will never happen, and you're just getting squirrelier and squirrelier and squirrelier trying to make this shit work, and you're diverging constantly from our reality. Um, so, like I say, I work duplicating Cozy Rev's experiments because of what they show you, what they teach you about time. He was fascinated by time. He's an interesting guy, uh, the greatest living astrophysicist, and he gets sent to a gulag for 20 years because he gets ratted out for um, counter-revolutionary ideas. So he, he, had, he was a thought crime uh, fellow, right? He was a thought crime victim. They said he, he was um, guilty of thought crime. And so they stick him away in a gulag. They let him out early, 10 years early. And during those 10 years, he didn't have any access to any damn thing other than hard work and miserable food. Uh, but he, um, he thought about all this stuff and he developed a whole series of experiments, which he memorized. And, um, and he started doing them when he came out. And his, uh, his understanding really grew in leaps and bounds. And he, uh, as he came out of the gulag, he totally um, uh, divorced himself, separated himself in, in his work from the conventional understanding of quantum mechanics. At that point, the former Soviet society was evolving into the current Russian Federation society, and they were getting on board with all this Einsteinian shit. Uh, because that, you know, the West was was doing stuff, and, and we were basing all of our things on it. Um we made the technology we did and invented all this shit in spite of Einstein's understanding. And whenever we come across reverse-engineered uh, space alien technology, it always defies the Einsteinian uh, understanding of things, right? Because it, Einstein's understanding was bogus. It, it just is not correct. Anyway, so Cozy Rev did all these experiments in which he... Um, categorized and, and described the active qualities of time. And he was able to do some very interesting things with very little in the way of gear. So, for instance, he could take a, um, a resistor, uh, put it into a circuit, uh, have active test 
gear on it, maintaining a, a, a test on the voltage and, and the flow of the um, electricity in through the resistor and its level of resistance. And then he could do any number of things that would cause time to be invoked, okay, like time stuff. It, and it basically what he's doing is experimenting with time, not as the dimension, but as the power of our universe here. And so what he would do would he would have um, next to the resistor, he could put a cotton ball and put acetone on it and let that acetone evaporate out of the cotton ball. And in the process, that's going to change the quantification of the time stuff that is around that resistor to the extent that it will alter the resistor's capability, changing its ability to resist, increasing its ability to resist, or decreasing depending on how you do the experiment. Um, there were other simple experiments that showed that time stuff is able to be um, like a technology independent of the time itself, right? So addressed by humans. And so one of them, he had a, uh, a balance for weighing things, a non-electronic balance, okay? This was a, he can use a triple beam balance or a hanging scale balance, it doesn't matter. And what you do is you uh, get yourself a lead weight and you put a lead weight in your balance and you weigh it down precisely you weigh it down to the tenth or the hundredth of a gram. And so you know precisely how much this thing weighs. You've got physical weights that balance it out such that you've got its weight down to exactly, you know, 390.3 grams, all right? And, uh, and so then you lock the, the balance, you lock the scale so that the, it doesn't wobble or move or anything. And then you take the weight off of, the, you take the thing you're weighing, the lead chunk of lead, and it could be iron and so on. Lead works better, it has more of a um, deviation. Tungsten would probably work uh, as well, or gold for this, this purpose. You need a very heavy lump of metal. And so um, uh, what you would do would be to take that metal out and go and set it on a rubber insulating pad that insulates it from touching any other metal and then you want to shake the fuck out of it, okay? So you put it in a paint shaker, you can put it on a, uh, one of those oscillating um, mixer things that you find in laboratories, which is what Cozy Ribbed used, and you just shake the fuck out of it for a few minutes. Um, you will then see that if you don't touch it with a human hand but, or metal, but if you were to take like plastic or, or non-conductive uh, tongs, wood, this kind of thing, and pick that weight up after the oscillations have stopped, after the machine stops, you pick it up and you set that weight back into the scale, and then you release the scale, you will find that that weight is suddenly heavier, suddenly heavier by a very large percentage that is able to be measured. So out of the 390.3 grams, if you do this with a very pure form of lead, you can get an extra 19 or 20 grams of weight. So, so this is measurable. This is significant. This is not a, uh, an error caused by, uh, you know, a gust of wind or something like that, right? This is not any kind of um, transient uh, <coughs> anomaly in the process of weighing it. 
This is an actual gain in weight, even though the mass has not changed. So shaking it does not in any way change the mass of that lid. The only thing that it actually does is it disrupts that lid relative to the pulse of universe such that the lead is uh, retaining uh, pulse effects uh, of time and thus has more uh, apparent uh, weight even though the physical mass has not altered. Now this works, this will work even with wood. If you had a large enough chunk of wood that you could measure it and get it accurately, you could shake the fuck out of the wood and it would gain some level of additional time stuff. It's not as good as metal though, right? Uh, in that regard. And there are some metals that this does not apply to. Mercury. All right, so you can do this with mercury. doesn't make a damn bit of difference. There are other things you can do with mercury to get it to absorb more time stuff, but mercury, I think, is our key to interacting with time uh, because of the nature of the metal itself. And there's all kinds of interesting tests that, um, uh, Nick, uh, that Nikola Kozirev did with mercury uh, showing the effects of time showing that, um, and that this is basically non-local, right? So this is, um, well, he did experiments with mercury and, and uh, measuring and weighing mercury when the moon is on the other side of the planet and when the moon is on this side of the planet and all these other different kinds of things showing that the mass of the mercury, is its weight and its mass is affected by um, the conditions of the universe around us at a magnetic level indicating its interaction with our time okay and time is an active thing um, and we have a time field that we live within that has all of these properties uh, and he's demonstrated this he's got uh, there's a couple of good books out there on uh, that go into cozy revs experiments and the active quality of time they're starting to get reprinted more often so there appears to be a growing awareness that um, the Einsteinian, uh, you know, atheistic view is bogus and that um, we need a different approach to things, an ontological um, understanding of universe. And Kozirev had this, right? Kozirev is of the same opinion as myself that time is the power of universe. It powers all of universe for us and gives us the all of the energy in universe, provides us with our own energy, and so on. Um, this understanding uh, necessarily leads to a, a different view of physics and what you can do with it, right? And so, no, it's not possible uh, that you can have time travel, corporeal time travel. It's just is not going to happen. You cannot take your body and go um, shove it into another, another point in time. First off, it would take probably more energy than exists in universe to bust into and intrude into uh, the um, time pulse uh, in a different area of the pulse itself. This has to do with a lot of different things. Um, and we know that there's no time travel uh, because we're not seeing any evidence of it, right? There would be certain things that would happen relative to our time if time travel was discovered anywhere, any uh, at any point, and people were actually able to travel in time, there will be effects of that throughout all of time, and they're, and they're quite numerous. 
this is one of the things that um, got Cozy Rev to understand that that uh, the about the pulse of time. Now he did not take his understanding uh, the same direction or as far as I have, um, which is that that he still believed he still thought the universe was steady state, and I don't I don't buy that. I think we have this uh, flickering. Um, oscillation, this 22 trillion times a second, <coughs> that actually is the nature of our universe. And it allows you to have different physics and explain so much if you just take that approach. In any event, so, um, so Cozy Reb discovered that um, liquids water and mercury chief among them uh, oil also but uh, water and mercury first uh, that liquids have the pro have the possibility of interacting with time stuff in a way that uh, solids don't and so he was doing all of these kinds of experiments on them uh, it led him to a whole series of conclusions about the nature of uh, the time stuff and um, its uh, interaction with our consciousness. And that's how he developed his Cozy Rev's mirror, the time mirror that they took to the North Pole. Now, he took it to the North Pole because of this understanding of water and time stuff or mercury and time stuff, right? So, when uh, water freezes, there is a a component of time that is trapped within that frozen water, within the process of the freezing. And it happens um, no matter where you freeze water or under what circumstance. And Cozy Rev was able to do a lot of experiments with uh, freezing water with compressed gas and freezing water with uh, ice or um, other methods so that he could freeze it quickly, freeze it slowly, and so on, and determine uh, many of the uh, subsets of that particular active component that, that seems to show that water retains, water has memory uh, relative to time. And um, in his experiments he was able to determine that the uh, freezing and uh, thawing of water acts as an additional uh, macro layer of putting time out into our environment. So in other words, um, you have a lot of uh, frozen time stuff, so to speak, in the poles. And so his idea was, oh, well, we can put my uh, mirrors up near the North Pole where every little tiny bit of fluctuation of, of, of um, temperature change is going to either is going to do something relative to time. It's either going to freeze more into the water or it's going to release more. Bearing in mind that you know the surface of the glaciers and all this kind of stuff melt in the sun and then refreeze, right? So, th so this is going on constantly, and his um, his understanding seemingly proved correct. Now. Some interesting things about this, okay? It gets really convoluted. We don't, there's some, some speculation and very few conclusions, but we do know some things, right? So, um, we're not in the Kali Yuga. Uh, we're in the uh, 325th year of the uh, 
Dwapara, okay, the ascending Dwapara, the ascending Bronze Age. Um, so we're 325 years into the Bronze Age, 325 years beyond um, the Kali Yuga. And we know that this is the case. We have physical, we have a demonstrable proof of this in that in the Kali Yuga, that's the densest point in our great year as the uh, sun goes around this um, center of the galaxy in this uh, basically a 26,000 year uh, ellipse uh, that's called the great year. And so we, we know that uh, the Kali Yuga is that place where humans live at their densest, where the where the uh, our solar system is furthest away from the galactic central, the galactic center, right? That's where we're furthest away from it. And uh, so we know that's the point where humans are are very dense and <laughs> and they were very dense but there's a lot of things that we know about that right that this is the point at which um humans are not very bright we're not producing stuff we're, we're uh, all of life is living at a denser level that has uh less brightness or spark to it and we see this in our history so if we look back to the point where um, the Kali, so the Kali Yuga would be 1,200 years uh, long. And so if we add the 1,500 years to that, then you get back into that period of time uh, where we have, um, uh, you know, all the, all the biblical stuff, right? And so this was truly the, the densest of time. And we had no electricity. We didn't have telephones. We didn't have uh, running water. Uh, we had none of this. Uh, during that period of time. And uh, it was pretty much that way all around the planet. And so now we know where we have demonstrable proof that we're not in the Kali Yuga because I'm not riding an ass in to get uh, food, right? Uh, aid car going like fuck into town. Trying to keep somebody alive. Um, anyway, so I'm not riding, riding an ass to go get my food. I'm not uh, you know, restricted to 15 minutes walking time. So, uh, like uh, in the surfs, right? So these were dense periods of time where there were there was nothing there really for for uh, human technology and and so on. Yet before that period of time, we find vast vast quantities of time where uh, humans had much more advanced civilizations. And it is not a case of just that civilizations decay. It is that we were moving into the Kali Yuga. So in that, so there's an ascending half and a, and a descending half, about 13,000 years each. And we've, um, at the point that, you know, the, all the Bible stuff happened was the point of the Kali Yuga. And that was the further, furthest, most, um, downside of descending side of our um, great year. Now, we also see on that side of things in our history, we find some incredible stuff, right? So in the, in the Silver Age, going, all right, so every age is of a different length. So the Golden Age is 4,800 years long. Silver Age is 3,600 years long. Uh, the Bronze Age is 2,400 years long. We're in a Bronze Age now. The, the Iron Age, or the Kali Yuga, is 1,200 years long. But there's the, there's, it doesn't stop and start on a dime kind of a thing, right? Now, you don't just cross a line. So, on the descending side, there is a 
All right, so let me stop and say that our great year is divided into four chunks. These are further divided into an ascending half and a descending half. Uh, but four is the number of time. And uh, four is associated with time in any number of civilizations. Now, in our case here, all of the, all of the yugas, all of these parts of our great year, each can be divided into four as well. And that fourth is meaningful. Uh, it's because of the waxing and waning part of this, right? And so as we go in a descending uh, point down into the Iron Age, we leave the Bronze Age. The Bronze Age is 2,400 years long. One quarter of that is going to be 600 years. As we go from one age to the next, there is, on the descending side, there is a waning effect. So as we left the Bronze Age, there were 600 years that the... Um, the technology faded, that the the light faded, that the brightness in human mind faded as we left the galactic center, as we got further and further away from it. And so there was this waning period. It didn't just suddenly turn on a dime. There was 600 years of this. During the Bronze Age and into the Silver Age, we find existing now uh, things like the Hopperonoran, um, uh, 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 civilization, uh, which lasted over a thousand years. This was in the Indus Valley, H-A-P-P-A-R-A-N. And uh, this was in the Indus Valley. There was much of it that was now underwater. Uh, this, this civilization was unique in our understanding in a bunch of ways. First off, they had mass-produced bricks. Uh, everybody had, the, their society was centrally, or, or had some level of design to it, not central planning or anything like that. But this planning um, with their mass-produced bricks allowed them to recover every time the Indus Valley flooded. They could rebuild really quickly. Everybody's houses were uh, of a known size. All the houses were basically uh, equitable. There were a few that were larger, but not very many. Um, the bricks were... Uh, had defined um, dimensions and ratios that allowed all of their buildings to have that to have that same design pattern. All the streets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This civilization is unique in that uh, there's no sign of any war toys. Okay, there's no sign of any weapons in the society. There were no. Um, that we can find. There were no arsenals. There were no weapon stashes. People didn't have weapons in their houses. We find weapons relative to uh, farmers and that kind of thing. So they did have those in terms of, um, uh, you know, keeping track of stuff relative to animals, right? Livestock and dealing with bears or whatever, right? And so, so they had weapons for that purpose, but they did not apparently have war. Uh, this was a very extensive society, millions of people, and it just, like, suddenly disappeared. There's some suggestion that it died in a nuclear war. There is some suggestion that there was nuclear war that separated the uh, Bronze Age uh, from the Kali Yuga. Uh, it's difficult to say this because the uh, nuclear aspect of it, we can't say when it occurred. But we know that the uh, Harparan... Uh, valley. The Indus Valley has some areas where there's radiation levels that are 10 and 20 times higher than they should be. Um, 
We find this in some of the deserts as well. So there's some suggestion that there was a, a great war here in, in shading into this. But in any event, so this is the way it goes though. So out of the Bronze Age, there were 600 years into the Kali Yuga, eh, it wasn't so bad. We were getting worse and worse and worse as time went by. But over a course of 600 years, you sort of not really notice. And then we're deep into the Kali Yuga. We go the next 600 years from the Kali Yuga and no, um, uh, you know, no real increases, technology, nothing getting invented, any of this sort of thing. People are basically dense mentally. It's during this period of time that we actually get the emergence of the Kazarian Mafia. Um, they came out of the Kali Yuga. They dominated the Kali Yuga. And all of their systems, Babylonian money, you know, the, the interest-bearing currency, all of that is coming from the Kali Yuga. Now, as you go... We've turned the, the bend, so to speak. We're around the bottom of the ellipse. We're out of the Kali Yuga, and we're heading up into the Bronze Age. We're in the Bronze Age, heading up towards the Silver Age uh, in an ascending cycle. And we have this um, uh, one quarter of the previous age as an overlap as we get, get out of these. So <coughs> one quarter of 1,200 years is 300 years. So if you look, we had... Uh, waning Kali Yuga influences over the last 300 years and um, out of the last 325 and uh, over these 25 years last 25 years we've been really starting to step it up so <coughs> on the ascending side well okay on, on both sides ascending or descending you'll have the overlap from the previous age and then you'll have one quarter of that time as the time that is required to establish uh, the qualities of the age you're in. So uh, one quarter of our 300 years and we come down to uh, 75 years. So uh, we're at the 325th year of the uh, Dwapara Ascending Bronze Age and uh, we've gone through our 300 years of hangover, so to speak, from the Kali Yuga, and we're into the 25 years into the establishment of the uh, time, the qualities of this age that we're in, the Bronze Age. So we're starting to invent shit. We've got, uh, you know, copper, uh, which is the heart of bronze, and we're going apeshit with it all. I'm getting better and better and better as we go up. But <coughs> we got the Kazarian Mafia wanting to hold us back into the Kali Yuga. They want to hold us back into a situation, a time when they have control. Now, it's not going to happen. That can't happen in the normal course of things anyway. These people are deluded in trying to maintain this against time, but we know they're deluded about all of this kind of stuff anyway, because these are the people that say you got to, you know, come up with a physics that shows how consciousness evolved from grit. And it just is not going to happen. It didn't evolve from grit. And so we've got a, um, a big disconnect that we're going through at the moment. And that's one of our big problems at this time is that we're still dealing with these hangovers uh, from the Kali Yuga in the form of the uh, fake physics that's been put on us, the fake money, all of this stuff that hangs on. But we're shedding it. This is that period of time where all of this stuff gets shed. This is why I'm very optimistic. This is a good thing for humans. Uh, we're getting rid of all of the Kazarian Mafia crap. 
Uh, we're getting rid of all of these hangovers from the old age, and we will um, get real and get righteous with our understanding of uh, this reality and physics. So this is going to be a good thing. Anyway, and so we've got 50 more years setting, it's called the set period, in which we set the qualities of the, uh, of the age we're in. And um, I actually think we're on the cusp, right? I think that our, uh, our setting the qualities of this age will accelerate as we accelerate the process of uh, moving into um, this 75-year period of time. Uh, we're, we're moving in towards the halfway mark of it, and so we'll get um, uh, uh, more solid with these qualities that we're setting in here. And this is the age of Aquarius. This is all uh, really cool that way. And the um, impact on our social order will be most severe over like these next 20 years or so, right? And um, thereafter, hopefully within like 20 years, we'll have done with the Kazarian Mafia. Part of the uh, things that's going to occur is that we're going to face the reality. And so this is all the, the good news, you know, the, all the people coming up with all of the language, laying out racism, anti-Semitic, transphobe, all of this. Every one of those words, we're going to deal with it. We're going to get down in there. We're going to get in there and remove this as an issue. So 20 years from now, uh, no one will give a shit. Anti-Semitic, what's that mean? You know, transphobe, what's that mean? Oh, oh, that's some of that old lang, right? Old language from from the past. It doesn't doesn't mean anything anymore. It has no m meaning whatsoever. And you won't be able to intimidate or control or do anything with the um, with the language relative to the general population. Anyway, guys, I gotta go and do stuff. I got a lot of chores and things here, but. Um, uh, time really does power everything in the universe, okay? It is the pulse of time that gives your body the ability to draw breath and cause chemical changes to occur within it. And um, uh, time is not a dimension. Einstein and all of these other guys, basically, I would say that anybody that got a Nobel Prize for physics, um, and probably most of the people that got Nobel Prizes for mathematics and chemistry are wrong, all right? Because they're working on this Einsteinian um, understanding, which is totally, totally bogus, which we will shed over these next 25 years. And we will do so in a very rapid way uh, once we get through our current political problems, because we now know that the Russians have achieved some remarkable breakthroughs in uh, dealing with time stuff. Uh, they've been able to accelerate Cozy Rev's work from 1967 to the point that they can now make um, matter more dense for their weapons. So this would be like being able to add more time stuff uh, to a bullet such that that bullet doesn't require any more gunpowder to shoot. It, it technically weighs more if you were to weigh it but it's going to be much, much, much denser as well. And so you'd be able to shoot that bullet and it would not break up the way that a non-time stuff enhanced bullet would, right? Where the lead would, would 
shatter and break open and so on when it hit a body. This one might be able to go, a time-enhanced bullet might be able to go through an armor-piercing or an armored vest or an armored car and still do damage and still retain some of its um, original qualities. Uh, and they can do things, too, like removing the time stuff ahead of their uh, missiles and stuff, especially for turns. And so this means that you can turn without inertia. You can turn without uh, an additional torque affecting your um, the body that is being turned. And in doing so, it makes the plasma engine incredibly fucking efficient. Because for the, the addition of the extra time stuff can be done in such a way that the missile is dealing with um, less, less mass and less weight. And so you get more oomph for the amount of fuel you've got in there. All different kinds of benefits come from uh, dealing with the time stuff and the cozy rev understanding of, of our reality. And I think we'll get in there, <coughs> especially when we can start talking to the Russians, um, you know, in a more or less open fashion about this kind of stuff. Once we're, we're all uh, on the same side of our Kazarian problem, right? Once we join the Russians and saying, hey, you know, Ukraine and Kazaria, central banks, all of this shit's got to go, um, you know, and like we'll um, uh, at that point, we'll be able to make very serious advances because we'll be able to uh, say, OK, no, this 100 percent bogus. Let's just disregard all this E equals MC squared shit that Einstein stole. He didn't come up with it. Uh, that was in existence in 1863. So we had the ability to make nuclear bombs and theoretically in the, in the mid 1800s, uh, you know, in terms of a physics understanding. No one did it because of the Mitchelson Mori experiments that derailed that understanding of things, which was all about the ether and so on. But nonetheless, we did have that knowledge then and Einstein merely plagiarized it. And it's amazing how many of the quote scientists that we think of as being like top dogs, like, uh, Pasteur and, and Curie. Uh, and Einstein, right? It's amazing how many of these are simply um, products of the Kazarian Mafia's propaganda arm. And, you know, um, Pasteur was a plagiarist. He didn't come up with germ theory. It was uh, 160 years old by the time he started talking about it. And um, uh, Curie did all kinds of stuff, especially Madame Curie relative to x-ray diffraction that was all um, uh, known that she was plagiarizing. So, and she was just promoted by the Kazarian Mafia. Basically, like I say, anybody with a Nobel Prize has been promoted by the Kazarian Mafia. And so there's some agenda there. And I don't trust any of the shit that they put out. Anyway, I'll um got to get back to my Cozy Rev experiments after I do some yard work and stuff. But um, I'll post these and we'll get into some more stuff later this week as we get to some of our... um uh, Big, ugly, emotional... Uh, peaks. I'm sure there's going to be stuff there that's going to be, uh, it's going to require some verbiage around it. Anyway, guys, take care and uh, talk to you later.